1: fade away this the best self podcast day to day i get excited about it every night about it. a real seas fan wouldn't want to live their life without it banner 18 in the making we got to make it best squad in the east and still we can't get complacent most winning franchise so the history's ancient you could tell the other guys are going plan a vacation yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J. King locked on trying to get the 18th ring. The most in-depth coverage that you ever gonna hear. Well-respected in a city, like Russell's career. It's Rain and J. Millis.
0: Hey there, welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for making us part of your daily routine. We're here for you Monday through Friday. This is the Wednesday show, and I am John Corrales of the Rain and Jays, sort of here by myself in that no one is on this podcast with me, but Sam Jam Packard does have an interview. The lead assistant for the main Red Claws, Nick Friedman, he had a half-hour-long conversation with him, so we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, not really much news of the day happening other than the one item I want to bring up, Kyrie Irving saying uh, that, He's still pissed off about Jamal Murray taking that three-pointer at the end of the loss to the Denver Nuggets. He was fined $25,000 for throwing the ball into the stands, which I, sh- I shouldn't laugh. I guess it's-, it's funny, but also, you know, obviously you shouldn't be p- throwing the ball into the stands. But he got dinged twenty five dollars for it. And I just have this picture of him taking $25,000 and throwing that into the stands. Uh, But he, today, at practice, was still pissed off. And here's the quote. You just don't play basketball like that. It's as simple as that. You just don't. There's a tradition and respect within the league, as well as in any basketball game. Obviously, you've won the game. You have it sealed. You've had a great game. Game of your life. You do something like that, it's pretty immature. That's just so thirsty of a player to go after something like that. Clearly, 50 points is a big deal, but get it within regulation. Take it as a man, get your free throws and get to 50 points. But you don't wait till the end of the game when everybody's not playing to just launch up a shot and then nonchalantly go like this. As if it doesn't even matter. It's tradition in this league. It's just immature. When he says go like this, he shrugs. Finishing off the quote You just don't do that in the NBA, in the NBA, in any game. It's just a disrespect for your opponent and I felt disrespected after the game, so your career-high ball goes in the stands. It's funny that he was like, okay, you want your ball, your career-high? Go get it. Which, I can't say that I would have a different reaction, and it's it's funny. It's just funny that he's just like, if I was out in the street somewhere, and somebody pulled some kind of similar breach of etiquette, I would have just punted the ball as far as I could. You want that ball? Go get it. Look, like, it's it's not the hugest deal in the world but I'll say it again I said it last night in the other podcast I say it here it is for lack of a better term breach of etiquette uh, breaking the code unwritten rules whatever you want to call it I when I was playing if I was in that situation I know 50s right there I can excuse Jamal Murray for getting caught up in the moment it's a huge win for the Nuggets. You're at home, the crowd's going wild. You've got 48. You've got the ball, and time's winding down. And that's—I get it. You get swept up in that moment, but at the same time, it is disrespectful. And we can sit here and say the Celtics should have stopped him from scoring some of those other 48 points where we weren't so they weren't in that position. I—that's legitimate. That's totally legitimate. However. They didn't? Okay, so he's there. He's got 48 points. And to Kyrie's point, this is exactly the way I feel. Don't get the cheap 50. If you score 50, score 50 in a game, in the clear flow of the game, draw that extra foul, hit one of those other shots. I know he hit a ton of shots, but you scored 48. You scored 48. You didn't score 50. And if you hit that shot, that's a cheap 50. I know 50 is a nice round number and people want that round number, but you scored 48. Even if you hit that three at the end, my my opinion is that wasn't a 50-point game. You scored 48. And that last three was cheap because nobody was guarding you. The 48 points that you scored when people were guarding you, that was awesome. That was amazing. That was a hell of a game. The Last three points, if he scored those when nobody was guarding you, it was garbage time. That doesn't mean crap. So, that's when you're a player, that's that's the disrespect, like that. I, I that's w- where I get that side of it. Again, I understand Jamal Murray going for his milestone, whatever, but I, I would be pissed too. I would be pissed if I was the Celtics. Part of it would be my own frustration for not being able to stop him, but part of it is. Look, you did what you did. You did the damage. It's like the Simpsons when Homer, the crusty the, the, the Clown Homer, is beating up on the their Hamburglar guy, and the kid says, stop, stop. He's already dead. There's no need to do that. There's just no need for that shot. You did it. You beat the Celtics. You scored your 48. The other thing, that's, that's nothing. That's masturbation. That's, that's 50 points. That, that's not a real 50. Score your 50 in the flow of the game, and then you get the respect that a 50-point game deserves. So, and look, the 48 points that he scored, awesome. The Celtics let him get hot, and he stayed hot. And that's that was an amazing game. One of the best games you'll see this season. It might be the best game that Jamal Murray ever plays offensively. I mean, it's just I can't imagine him having a better game than that. That's his high point. And what sucks is his high point now is marred. By This whole thing that people are sitting here even having this conversation, even if you disagree with me, even if you sit there and say, well, I think you're wrong, John. Fine. Maybe you think I'm wrong. Not a, this is not a universally held opinion. Uh, I think most basketball p- people, players would kind of fall on my side, but not all. And I, I think a lot of fans may not care about that stuff. So there's a divide, but it doesn't matter. The fact that this is even a discussion, the fact that this is even something that people have to talk about, it does put a little mark on your huge milestone game. So, uh, you know, for Jamal Murray, who, like I said, this is going to be the best game of his life, potentially. To have that little thing that said, well, there's also this controversy. I mean, it's it's almost better that he missed the shot because then he could just sit there and he has this 48-point 40, game. And we don't even have to worry about if it's a legit 50 or not. So, I get what Kyrie did. He got dinged, 25 grand. That's about right. Uh, So, that's that. The other funny thing that I have to mention before I get to Sam's interview is that we talked about this after the game. Robert Williams was in the game to basically hack uh, Plumlee. So... He hacks Plumley, then he gets hacked, and then he thinks he hears foul coming from the bench. And what they were saying is solid. And he, this is the quote: "This that was actually a miscommunication. I thought I heard foul him, but it was solid. It was so loud in the arena, but that's something I got to clean up." Man, Time Lord is just awesome. He is just awesome. Add this to the legend of the Time Lord who actually ended up fouling Paul Millsap when he shouldn't have and not understanding what what was going on because the arena was too loud and it sounded like they said something else. Just uh an amazing just an amazing next ch- chapter in Robert Williams' basketball life. This is just <laughs> blows my mind that that's what happened. And it's totally cool. It didn't really make a difference, but that's just hilarious. Hilarious that that's what it was. Before we move on to the interview, I want to remind everybody to go listen to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast, Locked On Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd. Uh, great show. has all the relevant information, everything that's happening in the league, day-to-day basis covering the entire league top to bottom. So uh, it's the hottest show on the network and you should definitely be listening if you're a fantasy player and even if you're not because it really has the entire league covered even from a non-fantasy perspective but for a fantasy basketball player you got to listen to that podcast because it's going to give you all the little tips and tricks to help you win your league especially if you've laid some money down in your league. You want to get any kind of inside information that you can get to hopefully win your league and Lockdown Fantasy Basketball Podcast will definitely help you do that okay here is sam jam Packard and his interview with red claw's lead assistant nick
2: friedman on the g league and a whole lot more nfl teams making bold final moves before the start of the season from our local experts to your ears these are the biggest stories on the locked on podcast network
3: All right, you guys heard Millie's. Now we bring in another one of Cambridge's finest. Once was the fastest kid in Cambridge, according to uh, public record. Uh, He is Nick Friedman, the lead assistant coach of the Maine Red Claws. Um, And we're going to be talking about the G League today. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing well.
1: I'm doing well. Speaking of Millie, shout out to the new track, Strawberry Goya. It's fire.
3: There you go. This is one Cambridge son to another. Now, Nick Friedman, you may know him um, from his past D-League stints with the N.A. Suns and the RGV, what are they, Vipers? Yeah, I don't know how many
1: people may know me from that. But That's a good point. I immediately
3: recognized <laughs> that as soon as I said that, that people probably don't know you. You may know him better from uh, uh, working out Terry Rozier in his pre-draft camps uh, as long as uh, well with uh, Kevin Knox and uh, Torian Prince, Antonio Blakeney, uh, a whole host of other NBA players in his uh, pre-draft camp. But right now he's the Red Claws lead assistant, the offensive coordinator. The Red Claws are what, one and one on the year? One and one. We got our first win on uh, yesterday. So against the Delaware Blue it was a great win for us. There you go. And so um, I just want to, I'm curious about uh, the, the G League, I guess, and how it gets, uh, it has an expanding role. But I think as a coach of the G League, you have an interesting um, kind of role in the organization because you're in charge of, the development of players, but you're also a competitor and you also want to win basketball games. And so I guess my first question is how do you balance the desire to like kind of develop these players and you're uh, trying to win every single game?
1: Well, I mean, I think it it gets neglected that winning is part of development, right? Like all of these guys you know, are expected that if they do get a chance to play in the NBA, they have to contribute to winning at a very high level, whether it's that they're, they're high character guys that can add to the, you know, to the culture of a locker room, or they can just master all the little things that go into being a sacrificial role player. Right. So, you know, in terms of like game planning and preparing to win, I think a lot of those habits, while they may be just X's and O's based are really, you know, geared towards helping these guys develop as individual players. Um,
3: you know but that change. that that makes sense but like so first game of the season you have Robert Williams the time lord come in um i'm assuming you guys knew he was going to come in but does that change like kind of how you game plan you you know you're going to want to get him sort like 20 minutes a game and does that change how your your like your team concepts moving like going forward or how well, do you
1: you know how do you great, adjust for that it's great being part of an organization that's really what we call a one to one so you know what we run Upstairs is exactly what we run in the G League. So, you know, in terms of game planning for a guy like Rob Williams, I've been in situations, you know, where like, for example, with Phoenix with the Phoenix Suns last year, you know, their offensive concepts and defensive concepts are essentially polar opposite to what we're doing in the G League. So, when you have a guy who's on assignment, um, you know, it's essentially a whirlwind for them because they don't really know what's going on. Whereas when you have a guy like Rob Williams. You know, we, we may have some different nuances here or there, but really he just fits in seamlessly because we're running the exact same stuff. So, you know, it's really great from a coaching standpoint to get a guy an assignment in a true one-to-one situation because there's really no, um, difference in what we're preaching. Um, we're all on the same page. So that really helps from a game planning standpoint.
3: And so when Rob Williams comes up to Maine, what are your, I guess, points of emphasis for him? Um, what are you trying to get out of him, um, when he's playing in the G league?
1: Um, You know, and it's, it's been, uh, you, you obviously know, you know, Alex Barlow's Alex Barlow's role and Robert Williams's overall development. Um, You know, we as a staff allow Alex to really be the central voice in, in how Robert is perceiving his overall game. So when it comes to coaching him, um, we, we truly just reinforce obviously what Barlow is, is talking about, you know, just being a true, hard-rolling five-man who, who can just put a lot of pressure on the rim with just hitting, you know, hitting the lower half of screens and getting out and diving to the rim, um, you know, and just being a ball mover. Um, he really surprised me on Friday just with his ability to pass the ball. I thought he made some really high IQ plays um, at the trail position and in the post and, uh, you know, just being solid defensively and and just, you know, mastering our, concept, our defensive concepts. Um, here in Boston. So, um, you know, we just, you know, we're obviously reiterating what Barlow has been, has been preaching to him since, um, you know, they've developed their relationship and he's doing an unbelievable job. So
3: how much has he been shooting? That's something, um, my buddy or the guy who co-hosts co- the podcast, Jay King wrote about, um, the Celtics kind of trying to develop his outside shot. Cause I think that's something the Celtics try to do with all their bigs so they can focus on running more of a five out system is that is, uh, what have you seen from from his shooting so far, I guess?
1: Well I know that they've been shooting a ton of free throws. Um, you know, Rob actually hasn't been up here um at all for the most part. He you know, they they played uh Detroit and then he came up that next morning, was here for shoot around, did his pregame warm up played and then left. Um so you know, and when I was in Boston he was recovering more so from his knee stuff.
3: Um you know, so really, what you're telling me is that uh, I, I should ask you questions about the players you're actually coaching on a day to day, rather than uh, Rob Williams. Probably, probably. <laughs> alright well, so let's 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 talk about the guys who are with you uh, more often. I'm a huge Walt Lemon fan, um, uh, but I love Walt uh, Lemon. Uh, let's talk about the guys uh, who are kind of kind of the leaders on the Red Claws. Who have you? I know it's only been two games, but you guys have been running practices for a couple weeks now. You've also been practicing with these guys uh, when they were at the. The Celtics and the whole organization was together back in early September. Um, who should be who the Celtics fans be excited about that are currently on the Red Cross? Who should they come see uh, in Portland?
1: Well, Walt Lemon, is he is a talent, man. I mean, the guy, the, the guy is an exceptional athlete. He, he explodes to the basket. He floats. He floats to the rim. Um, you know, and he's just instantaneous, instantaneous offense. You know, he's averaging 27 points in two games for us. He gets to the rim at will. He touches the paint at will. um, And he finishes at a really efficient rate once he gets there. Um, I think for him, obviously, people talk about, you know, the jump shooting as being really his next overall step of development and the step that he needs to take to really cross that line between being being borderline and being a, a true NBA player. But for me, I really think if he, you know, becomes that much more of a pest defensively and that much more solid defensively, Um, and it's just more of a, you know, more consistent, this ability to make the right play from the point guard position. You know, there's, there have been guys that, you know, can't shoot the ball, but at, at, at that level of athleticism, that level of quickness, um, can find their way, um, you know, and can attack short closeouts and still create offense, regardless of their ability to, to, to not stretch the floor consistently. But I think like those two things, mastering the defensive end and, and being a high-level decision maker and playmaker, I think you know, you you take the take the right step, take steps in the right direction. There, I think he's uh, he's got a real chance.
3: So now he's a two-way player, right? Mm-hmm. He's a two-way guy. Can you explain for our listeners out there what exactly that means? Like, could he just he can be called up at any time? Um, I don't know the full contract details. So, so, ex-
1: so as a two-way guy, right? You have forty. You have forty-five days, forty-five NBA days now. They've changed kind of the rules of what that that means. It used to be like, for instance, like if I were traveling from Oklahoma, I had played in Oklahoma City, a G League game in Oklahoma City, and um, I was traveling to Boston, that would be considered a day. Now that's not considered a day, so it's just days with the team. Um, so once you exceed those 45 days, the organization has a decision to either convert your contract to being an actual NBA contract. Um, or, you know, you're going from being a 16th or 17th man to an actual first 15 roster guy, or they can put you in the G league for the remainder of the year, um, and, uh, and keep you there, um, or they can just cut you and terminate your contract and move on to another guy. Um, but, uh, so yeah, those are, those are really like, kind of like the, the surface level, um, that's the surface level description
3: of a two way. So. I, I appreciate that because I always forget that. Um, I forgot about we were going through the roster, but there's other other players that Celtics fans may have heard of. Marcus Georges Hunt. Um, he's got some actually some time with some NBA teams last year. He got some burn. How is he uh, adjusting? He got kind of got a late start in the organization. What do you see out of him uh, early on in the season?
1: Marcus has been solid for us. You know, I think he's um, he's still finding his rhythm a little bit here in Maine. Um, you know, but he he's got the ability to play and pick and roll. Um, we relied upon him to initiate some offense for us. Um, you know, we're playing, we're starting Walt Lemon, PJ Dozier, and Marcus. Um, and I think all three of those guys can really initiate offense at any time. And he's done a solid job of doing so. Um, you know, and I think for him, his overall development, if we can kind of, you know, turn him into a legitimate, you know, because, you know, the NBA is built on having guys one through four, being able to bring up the ball and initiate offense and for us, his overall Uh, his next step of development is becoming more consistent in that regard. And I think he's doing a good job of that. Um, You know, and once he starts to shoot the ball better, um, I I think it's a no brainer that he gets called up. Um, So it's just a matter of time. And that's, what's so crazy about the G league, right? It's like, you know, I think right now our roster's strong. I think um, we got, we got some things, uh, some pieces that we can add, especially as, you know, guys come, come back from overseas and start, you know, coming back to the G league. But, Right now our roster is great, but in ten to fifteen games or twenty
3: games, it could be, could be completely different. Uh, yeah, how do you how do you deal with that? I mean, I know like I think it goes back to the initial question. You just, you probably just have to like ride with the guys on your roster, but in terms of consistency, things could change in the G League like that. And I'm guessing with travel, it's not like the the easiest thing in the world. Just I guess I'm 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 more curious about just life as a as a G League coach. This is like a you really have to have a ball is life mentality. Uh, I'm assuming your travel accommodations are, are not the best to uh, like, I guess, tell us, uh, talk to the people about like, what's it like, right? Like grinding on the road like that. I completely asked you just like 17 different questions there first.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Hey, no, I, I get the gist of it, but um, so, well, you know, when I was in Northern Arizona last year, this was, this was really our travel schedule. If we had a, you know, a game in Reno, Nevada, you know, we were leaving Prescott Valley, Arizona at three thirty in the morning to make a seven AM flight because we're two hours away from the airport. So it's like, you know, your your travel accommodations are, are pretty crazy and um, you know, you fly everywhere commercially, which is not the worst thing in the world, but um, you know, when you have connecting flights to almost everywhere you go and um, you know it's 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 a little bit difficult. you um, feel as if you're you're kinda getting sick at all times. Um, And that
3: sounds healthy and fun.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's healthy and fun. Um, But it really it really makes you appreciate, you know, how how hard this grind truly is. And, you know, I think for the guys that have been able to, um, you know, come through the G League and become back of the bench assistants, such as like, you know, Scott Morrison, like it just makes you cherish how much, you know, cherish just being in the NBA Um, and for me and my steps, like, I I don't want to skip any. And I think being in the G
3: league is just great for building character and building grit, you know? I mean, is it, it sounds like it it could be pretty shitty at times, but I feel like that's also like a great way to like build some camaraderie camaraderie with both, uh, other people on your coaching staff and the guys you're, you're playing with, because you guys are all kind of going through this together. So do you have, like, I know you're pretty good friends with, um, your former coaches in RGV and, and uh, with the NA sons, like, can you just talk about like the, the camaraderie that is built through that?
1: You literally can write a novel on the stories that you experience while you're in the G league. And it's, you know, you go through this, it
3: wouldn't like, be a novel. Then it'd be a memoir, bro. A,
1: a memoir, <laughs> right? A memoir. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, a memoir. I'm getting my, uh, I guess I'm getting my literature messed up. Um, but, uh, you know, you go through the ringer with these dudes and, You know, it's like the mood, you know, you got, you got guys that go through mood swings and, you know, you obviously, your, your players get temperamental. The conditions are something that a lot of them have never been accustomed to coming from high major division one programs and, you know, charter flights and things are just different and rough. And, you know, it's like you really, you know, staff camaraderie and chemistry is, is everything. You know, if you don't have a united front in the G league, um, it, it becomes very difficult to coach um and, and players can sniff that out you know and the the quicker that your staff can bond and um and really create a united front uh the more success you're going to have you know working with guys like joseph blair is currently the, the head coach of the Argers and vipers and cody top is now behind the bench with uh
3: phoenix yo nick are you like messing with your microphone or something no can you hear me you're just like coming in and out i think my 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 uh, mouth is a little bit away from the phone <laughs> it's happening. a classic case of phone moving yeah i just stuttered like four times there sorry i'm nervous <laughs> it's no big deal no big deal <laughs> um, um, keep going if you have more
1: um no i mean uh i'm just trying to think of uh of actual sto- i don't know if i should get into stories or not I feel like uh, can we the- tell the mad
3: cow story <laughs> no i don't think we can tell that one <laughs> um, um well, let me ask you a question about like the current Celtics. There's a talking about their struggles on offense and in the recent games, they've been making uh shooting and making a lot of threes. They're getting a lot of open looks, but Brad Stevens mentioned today that they don't, they're really struggling to get to the rim. And so you mentioned that like with the red claws, you guys teach a similar, um, schemes with a lot of five out action. Um, what do you do to kind of adjust the schemes to try and get more, I guess, play going towards the rim and try to draw more free throws or get, just get more layups. Cause right now they're, they got the threes part down, but the layups part is, uh, has been difficult.
1: Um, you know, I think, uh, it's really, it all starts with what we call a point five mentality, you know, and we define that as shoot it, rip it, swing it. And that's a big ooh, thing. Woo. Shoot it, rip it, swing it. I like that. Explain that shoot, more. Shoot it, rip it, swing it. So when you touch the ball, right. I'm either shooting it, I'm either passing it to somebody, or either I'm ripping it and and trying to make a play and driving to the rim. It's all about efficiency with the bounce because at the next level, like if you don't play with quick decisions, advantages go away in the snap of a finger. And you know, for our guys here in the G League, if you shot fake and foot fake, on you know unnecessarily and take negative steps and and play with the ball, um, space gets eaten up and you end up either turning it over or. Or clogging a possession um so for us like here in maine that's really been a huge point of emphasis um and our goal is 40 rim attempts a game um we want to get to the rim 40 40 or more times um you know obviously a lot of people talk about like the the percentage of your shots at the rim we we really just gauge attempts and go from there um but i think uh with do you have staff- a certain
3: number for threes as well like do you have a, a ratio you want to hit
1: no, I mean, we don't, we don't have a goal for threes, threes taken. I mean, I think when you get in the 40 range, especially in the G League, I think you're compromising um, your mentality at the rim. And I think for us um, specifically, like, the more we get fouled, the, you know, the more we attack the rim, we, the more we get fouled. And I think that plays into our overall um, mindset. Um, so I think, like, it really just starts with the rim mentality and going from there um and without a point 0.5 mentality it's a lot harder to get to the rim um you know so what's think, a point
3: 0.5 mentality is that the same thing as swing it rip it grip it that's what, yeah, it? That's what,
1: that's what i said brother
3: but po- how does point 0.5 connect to swing it grip it bop it twist that's it point, point 0.5 mentality shoot it rip it swing it okay well where's point 0.5 come into play so
1: point 0.5 seconds oh yeah,
3: point okay now i get it
1: make a decision
3: yeah okay now i get it yeah that was another thing i wanted to ask about um Every time I hung out with you recently, you're constantly watching film. How much does that, it feels like uh, with your role in the G League, you, every single time you're breaking down game film and tracking different plays, see how often they work, points per possession. How much uh, of, I know you've been a like a basketball-obsessed person your entire life, but when did, I guess, film study uh, kind of come into play, and how important is film study to you as a coach? Uh, it's It's everything. You know, I think it's really like, our ability to you know
1: validate what we're seeing in game and validate what we're what we're not seeing right um and uh for us it's just it's a vital tool uh for me personally um I really didn't get too vested in it until I was a graduate assistant um at University of Miami um and just fell in love with it and uh I think like it's just it's your lifeline as a coach right like because a lot of times you know, when you're playing, you, you don't know what the hell is going on, really, for the most part. Like, you can't you can't reflect. I mean, it's tough to just, in, in real time, just evaluate every single decision you're making, and I think the more that we can correct and teach out of it, I think, you know, obviously you have to find that line of, of drowning guys and just introducing just enough, right? Like, I think one thing that I learned as being a coach in the G League is, like, when I first started being assistant, my edits, you know, in terms of offensive improvement, were anywhere between 10 to 15 minutes of film, and that tur- that drags out to being, you know, a, tw- a 25 to 30 minute film session on just one end of the ball.
3: Well, like, can we can we talk about this because this is the first I'm like hearing about your edits. So when you're talking about your edits before a game, are you showing the entire team a package of plays, or are you showing specific players your edits? Like, talk. Can you just talk about your your game prep process in terms of film? So I think it may be more interesting to talk about like post game process of film. Well, let's take um, it to, like, however you want to take it, baby.
1: Yeah. So like, you know, we played Delaware yesterday. So, um, after the game, uh, you know, I'll get a copy of it. I'll watch all of our offense. Um, and I'll essentially like tag clips that I like. Um, and you know, I, I base it on certain, certain areas. Right. So, you know, we, we have our four series, our five series, our double series. You break all that down. You see what we're doing right. You see what we're doing wrong. I tag it as improvements or strength. I put that together in a in what we call a sorter just to organize my clips. And then while I'm going through all my clips, I'll find what we call our vitamins. So I'm responsible for the development of, of our wings, Jeff Roberson, Nick King, and Justin Bibbs. So as I'm watching the game, if I find as if there are clips that relate more to them as individuals and I want to hold withhold them from showing them to the team and want to show them to our, to those guys an individual basis, I'll tag those clips as well. So I'll put all those things together and edits one, a, a full team offensive improvement edit, And then all these, what we call vitamins um, that will kind of bring guys to the side and show them, you know, areas of improvement, things that we like that we think as if they're doing well um, and build on, um, you know, and that's a, a lot of the post game process. And then, Um, you know, I'll, I'll hit those guys beforehand on that stuff. And then we'll come together as a team, um, and show the full team offensive edit. Um,
3: how long is that normal? Like
1: usually I, you know, and, and I try to keep things between five to seven minutes at max in terms of how long the edit is, which, you know, will translate into about eight to 10 minutes of actual film, like film review with the team with me speaking. Um, you know, I I think it's what's really hard as a coach is like you want to touch on everything, right? Like I think as you, you feel as if you can improve everything, you feel as if you want to highlight every little bit of good. Um, but it's it's really trying to condense things to I would say three major areas, three to five major areas of improvement, and three to five major areas of of strengths. Um, and usually kind of leaning towards just three. Um, you know, because not everything is going to be retained. Not everything is going to be picked up. Um, and as long as we can just get the, the most vital points of emphasis across, the more effective we're going to be. And I think that's just the nature of the G League, right? Um, you know, you hold guys to a, you know, a high levels of standard, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to know your audience. You have to know that this is not going to be the most perfect, perfect game. Um, and you want to just be, you know, make sure that you have that next play mentality, and that you're not just getting hung up on every single little detail to the point where you drive yourself crazy. Um,
3: yeah, that's that's kind of the wild thing is that you also you're part like kind of having to watch all this film and do a basketball guru, but you're also kind of a teacher psychologist, and you have to read. Uh, maybe you like press a little harder into some guys for them to get the message. Maybe you back off. Maybe some guys are better at film. Some guys are better at like encore instruction. Right. So is, has it been difficult to like kind of like because each year you're learning, like get 12 to 20 new personalities. Uh, has that been a difficult part of coaching? Do you try to treat everyone in, in a similar manner or do you have to like adjust uh, for kind of yeah. different personalities?
1: You know, it's, it's very interesting. And I think it's, you know, it's it's the same message in the NBA. But I think before anything can be taught um, and anybody can be reached, you have to you have to establish amongst your players that you genuinely care about them. Um, you know, and look, like X you know, X's and O's and wins and losses are, you know, they're the end all and the be all in a way to, to coaching. But if you don't establish a sense of a sense of genuine care amongst your guys, it's it's that much more difficult to coach. And I think, you know, for anybody who coaches in the G League, if if you don't establish that it's really a it's really difficult to truly get through to, to some of these guys. Um, you know, there's been trust issues with a lot of dudes and, um, guys come from, from backgrounds where, you know, trust is a vital, is a vital thing. And I think if you can establish that genuine sense of, of love and care for, for who you're, who you're working with, I think, uh, your job
3: becomes a lot more, um, manageable. So, um, that definitely makes sense. I wanted to just like, while I still have you here, uh, so after you show these guys film, I think uh, in watching you do, uh, coach, the one of the things I've liked the most is uh, watching your drills and how active they are. Um, so you say you take the. So after, have you practiced since the the blue coat scheme? Uh,
1: no, we had an off day today, so guys got got some rest. Well, we will rest, but we will practice tomorrow.
3: So what is like? What are the drills that you're looking based on what you saw? in in the past game what are you looking to improve uh moving forward and what drills are like what what are you doing when the guys are actually on the court to try to like uh help them improve
1: well i think the new trend in player development is is live conceptual action right so um you know big point emphasis um for us here in boston is just everything we try to do is read and react to a degree um that doesn't mean that everything is is guarded at full speed, but we try to simulate as much live action as we possibly can. Um, you know, that's why we do have a large staff here in the G league and, um, we want to have guys, you know, have physical, you know, experience physicality and, um, make, make real time decisions. Um, so a lot of things we do are decision based. Um, you know, for instance, I may like if, if I, I'll have one coach guard a player, I and mean, I'll and I'll try to do my best explaining this via phone. But I have one guard, one one coach guard a player. I'll be the screener, and say for instance, uh, the player is coming off coming off of a DHO. I'm dribbling at that player. Um, he has to read whether or not that 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 coach is going to trail on that DHO, or he's going to go under and meet him on the other side, and then I will rescreen um, as a result. So if he trail, if the coach trails. Then he'll come off, throw a pocket pass to me as I roll, and then we'll develop the the sequence from there. If I, if the coach goes under that DHO, he'll use, he'll use the rescreen, throw the pocket pass going back to the same hand to which he was coming from and go from there. And I think like if, you know, obviously I I hope that explanation helps, but, um, more so it's just like that decision-making element of things not being predictable, right? Like, I think a lot of times in player development, um, uh, the movements that we introduce, like, you know, there's a progression, right? You have to learn a movement um, to really be good at it, um, but we want to train instinct as much as we can, and I think by introducing that decision-making element, you, you allow guys to become more fluid, um, and that's really our goal here. I think a lot of times uh, people don't realize that fluidity is really a separating factor between... Uh, being an nba player and, and not being an nba
3: player um and, can you just explain more what what you mean by fluidity cuz i'm understanding it is just like ability to kind of make any read and make any decision without it being like too difficult and do like making that like decision quickly
1: yeah and i think like a lot of times really what you see in the g league is that guys have a really difficult time just playing in space without having to think right like Sometimes like, okay, well, if teams are changing their coverages, guys will freeze, right? And what we're trying to introduce as development as developers is to help guys play with less thought. And if, you're, if your development is based off of just everything being predictable, one move here, one move there, then I think guys don't really have the experience of learning how to truly play read and react basketball, right? Um, you know, so I who's like
3: if, one of the more fluid, uh, members of the current Celtics?
1: I think, uh, well, I mean, uh, Kyrie is the definition of fluidity. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think Terry is extremely fluid. Um, I think, uh, I think those two guys I would really consider as being two of your most fluid, uh, ball players, I think Al Horford has, you know, obviously his IQ is helps him in that regard, but in terms of just overall, like fluidity with the ball in their, in their hands, I think Terry and Kyrie are at, at the upper echelon. Um, but I think it's just like knowing how to play ball, right? Like you gotta, in order to develop, you have to learn how to play the game. Um, and like I said, I think, um, a lot of times we get, we get too predictable in the way that we develop guys. And as a result, it just, it, it, it translates into being stiff on the floor. Um, so that's that's really like our mindset as developers here in the in you know with, with the red claws is just helping guys learn how to just hoop, um, if, if
3: you know if that makes sense. Makes enough sense to me, but uh, you know um, that I am not very good at hooping. Um, full disclosure, <laughs> I've known uh, Nick Friedman, I call him Rick Friedman, since we were five years old. We're gonna wrap up the podcast, um, which we hope to do again as we more check-ins with the G League moving forward. <laughs> Uh, but I need you to tell the listeners about the greatest moment uh, you've shared the basketball court with me, Jan Packard. What is my greatest moment? What's the greatest thing you've ever seen me do on a basketball court?
1: So we were at Danny Heat Park, um, <laughs> which is formerly known as St. Peter's. Yeah, it was me, you, my little brother, Maddie, Clay Marsh, and I think one other, uh, Jabroni, um, challenging a couple dudes to play five-on-five. First possession of the game. I get a defensive rebound, I outlet it, uh, the full length of the court, and he's got like one defense, Sam's got one defender to beat, and just performs this magical finger roll, that just, <laughs> you know, and we're
3: talking outdoor hoops, right, so like, we're you also short, have to describe what I, I, like, looked at at the time, how, like, I was like, what, five I, foot, I, eight? I don't like, know, I
1: don't know if you had a mullet at the time,
3: either, I think I probably sure. did, I think I definitely had a mullet at the time, I think Sam had, a, I think you did have a mullet, um, to be fair, it was, a, it was a joke mullet that turned into a, a real mullet because I was lazy.
1: Yes, this is true, but it was glorious and it was smooth. You put your hands through it; it was just like velvet.
3: Oh, uh, know, my hair has always been soft because I shampoo <laughs> uh, and condition, <laughs> rinse and repeat. But uh, yeah, so we were playing some some pickup hoops, and I think that it still is uh, my greatest uh, you basketball. Didn't, you memory. didn't
1: let me. You didn't let me finish. W- oh, I'm w- sorry. W- what actually happened so I throw this ball. It's a, what we call a pitch ahead, and it's a perfectly executed transition possession. Throw it ahead; you got one guy to beat. He's on your hip. You're going to your right hand, and you finger roll this thing off the literally off the top of the square, and it hits <laughs> nothing but net on a double rim. We and we just were like rolling from there. I don't think you scored one point after that, but I think I I, I helped uh, Clay Marsh, and I helped. Uh,
3: I'm I think curious. we won the game. Yeah, yeah. I think it I set the tone for the seriousness of the basketball that was going to be played.
1: You did. You did. you
3: just you just made sure that you were you're you were fulfilling your role as a sacrificial role player, right? That's that's all I am. That's what I say. I, I strive to be on a basketball court now, I can't shoot, but I will set you a goddamn screen that will you
1: will set a goddamn screen and you and I will fans? foul
3: every time you drive on me Paul. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I was playing pickup the other day and some guy did the same thing to me. Like, just like literally put my hand, like his hands in my chest. And I was like, oh, that's, that's not cool. And then I realized, oh, that's probably how I play defense on every possession. And then I had some perspective. So there you go. Right. Right. All right. Nick Friedman coming live from Portland, Maine. He is the lead assistant coach of the Maine Red Claws. And he's checking in hopefully uh, every couple of weeks to give us that, uh, that G League update. Appreciate you taking the time, Nick.
1: No problem, man. And hey, Millie's, hey, if you're out there listening, can you please deliver over some
3: Strawberry Goya? That's uh, Millie's, if you're listening, Strawberry Goya Soda to Nick Friedman in Maine.
0: I need it. It's fire. Great stuff there. Thanks, Nick Friedman, lead assistant for the Maine Red Claw's. Main Red Claws will be the home for Robert Williams for much of the season once Daniel Tice is healthy. So go check out the Main Red Claws. If you can't check them out in person, the games are streamed live on Facebook. So check them out. It'll be fun to watch them as they continue to grow and as our young players continue to grow. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you're a new subscriber, please give us that five-star rating. Write us that good review. It helps us out. It helps us grow in the rankings. Uh, really, really helps us as we continue to strive to give you great content and to get the money from the advertisers to help pay us as we continue to do that. So it's a really big help. Podcast is free, but the ratings and the reviews really help us. It's kind of like your way of paying. And if you have done all that, the next step is very simple. Share the podcast. Tell everybody to listen to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network.